Hello and welcome to this episode of the View from the Lab podcast. I'm your host, Andy Woods. In this episode of the pod, I talk to microeconomist and researcher, Dr. Hans Sievertson from the School of Economics at the University of Bristol. Hans specializes in topics of education, health and gender and their effects on populations. We're honing in today on some fascinating research that he recently carried out with a 50-50 split of both UK and Danish academics. His team was looking at the effects of a certain assessment structure, namely oral exams in maths that they have in place in Danish schools and their effect on the STEM degree uptake by girls. We delve into the nitty gritty of the research and find out what the key conclusions were, whether we can make use of these findings in other educational settings. So without further ado, let's listen to Dr. Sievertson's View from the Lab. Hi Hans and welcome to the View from the Lab podcast today. Hello Andy, yeah, thank you for the invitation, it's uh, great to be here. Not a problem. Um, it's really nice you could come along because you are perhaps our first, not our first academic researcher, but um, you look at specific types of research, of course, but how would you describe your main role? So you're at the University of Bristol, but is it kind of more um, social uh, uh, statistics I suppose or I know it's involved obviously in education could you give us a kind of an overview of of what your main role is at at the university? Um, So in Bristol I'm I'm of course teaching and I'm teaching at the economics department students and using data but my research is on um, yeah you say social aspects so my my research is basically on how how external factors are things that's outside the control of the individual affects the individual and how it leads to inequality and and often that in my research is about what is important is is, is education um and and in the school setting because it's it plays a big role in in shaping individuals and and for how well they do later in life so kind of linking i guess you know socioeconomic um ex- I say external factors and how that might impact on people's life uh, in the future and is this mainly in say European countries or is it across the world you look at usually or is it a mix of all of the above? Um, it's a bit of mix but it's uh, it's dominated by Europe for, for, for two reasons. So one reason is that I, I am Danish. Um, my, my background is, is uh, that I studied economics also in Denmark and um, as you might know Scandinavia has really good data. You have a really good data infrastructure which is um, I mean um, my research heart is a bit uh, uh, hurt by saying this, but it, it, having access to data makes it easier to answer questions, um, which is obviously from a global perspective not nice because it might not be Denmark where we have the biggest questions and pressing issues. But I'm also doing involved in research uh, here in the UK and also in, in Asia uh, and other countries around the world. Um, so it's a bit a question of where we see interesting questions and also opportunities to answer these questions. Okay, and the kind of, in a sense, are you looking at data? So I guess you're looking at data that has already been um, provided by another agency, like a government agency, um, or um, freely available data, rather than you you carrying out the research yourself. Is that is that the way it works in terms of the way you approach your your research? Um, in most cases, I mean, I do sometimes conduct my own surveys, often to complement existing uh, data that's either publicly available or some data that's um, comes from some confidential registries where where we get uh, as academics uh, access to some anonymized and secure access and and can work with this data. But sometimes we complement this data with our own collections or even interviews. 
Um, and for this specific um, uh, topic we're going to talk about today, so we're looking at um, some uh, a paper you you published with three other academics. Um, I think were they all from the University of Bristol? No, actually not. So one is my colleague Simon Burgess here from Bristol. Then it's uh, Beatrice who is in Copenhagen at a research institute, and Daniel who's also in uh, in Copenhagen. Okay, so nice nice mix of. Um... Uh, kind of researchers from those those two countries and in terms of the the study itself so it is based in the the Danish school system now I've had a, co- a conversation with you off the podcast about the way that um, obviously Denmark schools are uh, arranged and organized obviously all, all countries have slightly different nuances about the way their, uh, their their schools are designed in terms of age and and different types of schools as well there's lots of variety so just for the listeners how did you what's the best way to describe the Danish school system in terms of the way children move through um, that particular system which you of course must have gone through yourself yes um, I'll try to provide a, a brief answer <laughs> okay that's supposed to be a very long answer so so in Denmark so the core thing, so in Denmark, children start school when the, the year they turn six. Okay. The calendar year they turn six, they start school in August. And then we have 10 years of compulsory schooling. And um, after this, these 10 years, uh, after the 10 years, they can uh, either go to academic high schools, um, vocational training, or vocational programs, or the labor market. And what we look at today is uh, those who go to the academic high schools and the high schools is then a three-year program and this means that the kids are 15 years old when they finish compulsory schooling typically or 15 or 16 years old yeah and then they process a progress into high schools which are three-year programs end of high school you could compare with your a levels here in the uk high schools are also a bit different to what we know here in the sense that when you then decide to enter the high school you decide on a track so for example, you want to do a community track in high school or you want to do a science track in high school. And that involves different combinations of subjects and levels of these subjects. So you could, for example, decide I want to do maths for three years, which would be the highest level. That means in all three years of your high school, you have maths. And that is what we actually call A-level maths. Okay. Um, so that's what I did when I went to a Danish high school 20 years ago. And you could then also say, I want to have, I, for example, had biology at a B level, meaning that I had it for two years. Okay. I had chemistry at a C level, meaning I had it for one year. So basically you choose your combinations of, of subjects and levels. Um, and then when you finish high school, what is important for you is that you get a, a grade point average, a GPA. You get a diploma with a GPA, GPA printed on. Right. And that GPA is a, an average of grades you receive during high school. And uh, the, these grades come either from exams or from teacher evaluations. So it's about half, half. Half of your grades are from your own teacher giving you a grade, and the other half is uh, from exams that you sit. And this GPA is very important for the students because all access to further education, like university programs in Denmark, is based on that GPA. So to sum up, after compulsory schooling, you enter this three-year academic high school. You choose your combination of um, subjects and the level you want to take each subject. Then, when you finish, you get a, a GPA, which you use for continuing into university. Into university, and that's and and universities. So, in Denmark, uh, my understanding from speaking to you um, a few weeks back was that 
your you get your GPA, which is is that like a letter grade or is there a number? Is a num an actual number you get? It's actually a number with a decimal, so you get a GPA of. I mean, it won't tell you much uh, currently, but it, you get a GPA of say eight point five or ten point two. Okay, so it goes ranges those kind of ranges. So um, once you've got that, then you um, you only apply to university in Denmark after you've received that uh, GPA average. And then you can apply to, I assume, do you have a free reign about if you want to apply, obviously, in Denmark or perhaps maybe elsewhere in Europe or around the world? That's what you use then to, to, to look at the next stage of your academic career? Yes, that's right. And what's important is that university programs in Denmark, they can set up requirements for subjects you have to have. Uh, so university programs in Denmark rank candidates based on their GPA. and they can also have some requirements on the subjects you have to have completed in high school. Yeah. Okay. So if you want to study engineering, for example, they would typically require you to have taken A-level maths in high school. But once you satisfy that, um, you are simply ranked based on that GPA. So, but the combination of subjects, they wouldn't say that I want you to have this grade in maths and study physics it's just the overall subject choice plus just the average at the end and that's what they use to decide whether they you're right they're right for that program um not fully so not fully I, I was giving the brief so basically yes so you're right but basically so um so university programs can say we want to have students who completed these subjects in high school yeah they can also add a level requirements and saying you have to have completed a level math in high school and received at least this grade. Oh, okay. That is also okay. possible. Okay. okay. But as soon as they put these requirements um, and you satisfy these requirements, you're simply ranked on your overall GPA. Right. Yeah. Okay. And typically there will be relatively few subject specific requirements. Right. Okay. So that's, that's the usual um, state of things. And then you, then you move on to the next section. So in terms of then moving on to university. So in terms of going back to the, Interestingly, I was, I was thinking when those students, so when those students finish at 15 or 16 and you've got these choices of do I go into the labour market, do I go um, down an academic route, do I do, go down a vocational route, is that a completely free choice in Denmark as in even or, or, or do you have to have a, a certain kind of uh, a, a sense GPA for the, 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 this, this previous stage to decide to go on to the academic stage or could you vice versa just go down a vocational route? Is there any flexibility or is there constraints on students into what their what their options are at 15 or 16? So for the cohorts we look at, which are basically the cohorts who went to, to high school 20 years ago, there were some less specific requirements. So basically your sending school, so your, the school you attended during compulsory schooling had to say that you were qualified for going into high school or going into vocational training. That was not linked to a particular particular grade or anything it was just saying you need to get your school to approve that you're ready to do this today as we're speaking today this has been changed a lot it's been made more formal and it's been linked to specific requirements meaning that you have to pass um, danish in compulsory schooling you have to pass the math unit in compulsory schooling in order to go on to um, say vocational training there's or academic high school if you don't do that there is an optional extra year of uh, schooling you can do to improve 
prove that you can move on. And uh, is, is that your kind of final chance? If it doesn't work out, then then you go down a different route usually. So there are different routes. It's not your final chance. I mean, um, okay. yeah, thankfully, I mean, there are options. Of course, things get, get more and more challenging, but there are uh, several different options. There's also good options for you to get back on the high school track and get into university, even if you if you fail in 10th grade, but, but the straightforward route is, is going. Um, so one of the things that's um, interesting about the Danish system is that um, if the students are on this, this high school is academic pathway, uh, which kind of links, links to your research, they have an opportunity to take part in what I've written down is SEAM or S-E-A-M as part of their high school assessment structure. So that is very different to what um, uh, happens in, well, definitely in England, uh, in the UK. Um, so could you tell us a bit about um, SEM or SEAM and, and what that means for the students in schools um, in terms of their assessment? So SEAM is um, for Semi-External Assessment in Math. It's an acronym we use in the study to basically um, look at this special assessment in math. And let me uh, first ex explain how this comes up. So at the end of high school in Denmark, students get a diploma with their grade point average, which I said, which is a average of teacher grades and exam grades. What is interesting for us here is that students don't sit all exams in all subjects. Yeah. So what happens is that at the end of high school, it is decided by a lottery. So basically at the Ministry of Education, there is someone sitting with their dice and rolling this and deciding what subjects I'll sit in an exam. So, for example, for me, I had history at the A-levels. I also had math at the A-levels. And when I finished high school uh, in my last year, basically in May of my last school year, I just got a message saying, you are assigned to an exam in history, but not in math. What that means then is that in history, I will sit an exam in early June. While in maths, instead of sitting an exam, my teacher uh, grade is actually counted double. Yeah. So basically they're saying, instead of you going to an exam in maths, your teacher will both give you uh, a grade for your classroom performance and uh, how you did during the year. And we will also use this grade as your exam grade. Coming back to SEAM, so this semi-external assessment in math. This is for what we call it when you're assigned to an exam in math. And it's an or, this is an oral exam, isn't it? This is not a written exam. It is an oral exam. oral exam, yeah. So just to make things more complicated, in Denmark we have both assessments of your oral performance and your written performance. And that goes both for the teacher side and the exam side. Yeah. So the teacher is giving you a separate grade for your written performance and for your oral performance. And you also sit written exams and oral exams. Um, in our main results, we're kind of ignoring the written exams because they're not affected by this lottery. Yeah, So everyone sits the same written exam. Okay. But whether you also sit the oral exam is decided by this lottery or uh, the central assignment. What is nice or interesting in our setting is then that whether you sit this oral exam in math is not something that's related to the individual, to the school, or to the teacher. Yeah, that's not something they can affect. Okay. So it's not something they can decide, and therefore it's something we could look at as kind of an experiment. Yeah, because some sit these exams and some don't. 
And what we thought of when we um, thought about the setting is that this might be interesting in the sense that we know that um, girls and boys have uh, different propensities to study STEM degrees. They might also have different beliefs about their abilities to study STEM. And this might be linked to the feedback they get during high school. Sitting this extra exam is an opportunity for getting some extra feedback. And now I'm coming back to the name SEAM because we call it semi-external because this exam involves one external uh, member that is assessing you. So the way these exams work is basically that they are 30 minutes assessments typically. So there's some variation across subjects, but the basic principle is that there's a 30 minute assessment, which involves you entering the room. And in the room, there will be your own maths teacher or your history teacher, if it's history yeah. and an external examiner who's typically a high school teacher from a different school. And you don't know that person and you enter this room, then you draw a, a topic within that subject. So analysis or algebra in math, and you get some specific tasks to do. Then you get 10 minutes to prepare on your own, typically closed book without any access to resources. And then you are asked to prepare your solutions to the this topic and the, the tasks you were given for both your own teacher and the external assessment or examiner. And after like 10, 15 minutes of you answering the question and um, they also following up and asking new questions, you, uh, you ask to leave the room and they consult and within a few minutes, you actually get your grade and feedback on how you did. Yeah. So basically within 30 minutes, you have 25 minutes where you basically prepare and give your solution and interact with both your own teacher, but possibly also with the examiner. The examiner is always in the room and then you get feedback immediately from them. And we thought this was a very interesting case in the sense that some are exposed to getting one outside member, this other teacher, giving you feedback on how well you do in a subject. And that's why we want to study this and say, does it make a difference whether you are exposed to this or not? And especially in a subject where we see some quite strong gender differences in, in, in tracks like maths. And do you, so you say they get feedback, do they, at that point where they've had their, their question, they've had their, they've had their session within the, uh, you know, in the examination room explaining the, the, whatever the idea is. Do they get, do they also get graded at that point or is it just feedback about how they got approached that problem? They get a, they get a grade. So they basically first get a grade and then they get a justification of the grade. Justification of the grade at the same time. Okay. And in terms of going back to the, I was interested in the teacher assessment. You said that um, part of the, the, the way that the teacher was assessed was partly from written and partly um, oracy as well within, within the classroom. So I guess for the written part, I assume schools have to decide for themselves what are appropriate assessments to make that judgment. Would that be the case? Or are they given that so they've got to make that as a school decision about what is an appropriate task? So there are some centrally decided guidelines on how okay. to give these grades. But basically what, what happens is that the individual teacher gives you, so the written assessment will typically, or the assessment of your written performance is typically based on written work, of course. So that's typically assignments or uh, informal classroom um, assessments. Yeah. Yeah. And that's typically something 
or that is not centrally decided. That's your own teacher who decides and, and, and creates these uh, assessments. And the oral part, so the assessment of your classroom performance, is basically on your engagement in, in classroom activities. And, 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 um, and that's up to the individual teacher um, or, or, or school to decide how to do this. That is very interesting. I was going to so link to the um, the results from your study. So I've, I've written down one of the results from the study showed that girls who take these oral exams in maths get similar results to their teacher assessment, whereas the boys teacher assessment tends to be higher than their oral performance. Um, does this, did this show a, a strong enough positive bias by teachers towards boys in maths? Do you think I.e. Um, there is a slight perception by teachers that boys are better in maths than they think they are? Or is that the case or not the case? That is a really good question. So um, so you're right in what we observe is basically we compare the grade the student gets from the teacher to the grade they get in the exam. So for the written assessment, it's a written teacher assessment to the written blind extern, uh, externally assessed exam. For the oral, it's a teacher assessment of classroom engagement, and we compare that to the oral exam. Why are the patterns different for girls and boys? So why do teachers actually, it looks like teachers give quite accurate marks for girls, but are a bit too generous for boys in maths. There are some other differences in other subjects. So as you hint at, I mean, one explanation could be like an unconscious, an un unconscious bias towards some groups. Yeah, so if they have some unconscious idea that some groups might, might do worse. That's one potential explanation. Another explanation is that the, we are comparing slightly different assessments. Yeah, So maybe boys are just better at classroom engagement for some reason in our setting and worse at oral exams. Maybe they're not as good as preparing to these exams as girls are. In this study, we don't shed light to what is the source of this yeah so is it because of a bias or is it because there are gender differences in how students do in these assessments there are other studies that find some explanations uh, to this that um, to some degree support the idea of biases um, from other settings uh, around the world and also from denmark so for example there are studies where they do real experiments where they include the name or the gender of a student on some assessments and not on others and can see the differences. But in our setting, we cannot, um, we, do, we do not attempt to answer where these differences come from. Okay, yeah, because I was thinking it might be interesting. I, I doubt the data exists, but whether you could, I mean, whether there is that unconscious bias and is there a difference in the gender of the teachers making those judgments? And if there's a difference in, in that sense is, you know, our, our male teachers may be, over over assessing boys competence perhaps so i don't know i'm just just putting out that but i don't the data is is available to make judgments like that i guess at the moment yeah i mean that's something we really would like to look into and we also have some some plans and ideas for, for doing some of, of this in the future um i think some of the other studies have looked into the characters characteristics of the teacher and, and find some differences i don't think actually necessarily it's that male teachers always are more biased against girls than, than female teachers, but there are different dimensions of like teacher characteristics that might play a role. 
Okay, so it might be character, character perhaps rather than um, yeah, spit by agenda. Okay, um, so interestingly, um, so from your stats in your study, there was this gender difference in uptake in STEM degrees. Um, um, but what was the difference between with and without this oral exam? So there was a slight um, uptake, wasn't there? Uh, but a significant uptake um, of uh, girls that had taken this oral exam and then decided to then go on to STEM degrees. So what was, can you just um, tell us the difference the kind of number, with num numbers, I guess? So our main outcome um, of interest is whether students enroll and graduate from university programs that we classify as STEM degrees. So we look at STEM degrees uh, or define STEM degrees as degrees that uh, either require you to have completed A-level math or are very demanding in terms of math. So only students who did really well in high school end up actually graduating from these degrees. So these are really um, demanding degrees. To give you a sense of how demanding they are and how, how specific they are, um, without our treatment, 17% uh, of boys complete um, these STEM degrees if you use the math requirement or 6% if you use the demanding. So it's only 6% of the full cohort of boys who actually ended up graduating with these degrees. If you now compare what happens with and without treatment. So without treatment, that means the students did not sit uh, an external or semi-external exam uh, in math, then the gender gap was 9% for girls who completed these math-required degrees compared to 16.5% for boys. If the girls and boys actually set these exams, this gap was reduced by 16%. So 16% of the initial gap in graduating from a STEM degree was reduced by this treatment which is quite remarkable in my, I mean, I was actually surprised because this is a very small treatment. It's just a 30 minute assessment um, with your own teacher, but also with another teacher in the room and it reduces the, the gap by 16%. If we also look at the even more demanding STEM degrees, the degrees that require you to have done really well in math, yeah, the reduction is even stronger. So the treatment reduces the gender gap in graduating from these degrees with 41%. So sitting in 30 minute um, oral exam at the end of high school has these long run consequences that like we look 10 years after high school yeah that it reduces the uh, gap between girls and boys by 41% and it's it's uh, significant statistically speaking but also economically or, I mean, socially, a very, very big reduction. As I said, I'm, I'm quite surprised about how large these magnitudes are, given how small the treatments are, because we always, I mean, we see these large gender gaps in completing STEM degrees and thinking about how we can reduce it and think about large interventions. But that just a 30-minute treatment basically changes this is, is quite remarkable. And something that the, uh, the, the Danish schools were unintentionally doing anyway and having this positive effect as in that they didn't set out with any particular agenda I assume is just the way that things were assessed in Denmark and um, maybe you know and that you looked at it that they hadn't people weren't aware that, that this this was having a, a positive effect. So um, in terms of um, so that's the data of course but did you did you go into any reasons or has, has anyone looked into why it makes a difference as in 
has anyone, anyone thought of any, thought of any theories, particularly of why it makes a bigger difference to to girls, or seemingly um, to get this feedback in this particular way, um, or has it just been left as it is, and that's just what has happened, and um, maybe it's too hard to unpick the reasons why it might be a disproportionate effect on um, girls uptake in, in in STEM degrees with that high mass content. Any thoughts on that for yourself, or anything you've heard within the research? So we do speculate a bit about this at the end of the question. Uh, so we do speculate a bit about this in the end of the study, or in the end of our paper. And I say speculate, it's because we cannot provide as good answers to this as we can for the main result. So uh, main result we are quite confident on, um, we're very confident on. We've done a lot of testing and we have good data to test the main result. But for this, we cannot. And let me explain why. So we thought of why could it be that this small treatment affects this gender gap so strongly? Mm. And we basically discuss three reasons. So the first reason is what we would call like a mechanical reason. Yeah? So what I told you is that when you want to study at university in Denmark, it depends very much on your GPA. And doing this, getting this treatment, um, meaning that you get your math exam, uh, your math exam instead of your teacher grade, means that you end up getting a different grade. Yeah? So you get, get a different... Uh, grade in math than you would have otherwise, or you potentially get another grade, yeah? So it could be what we call a mechanical effect in terms of when the girls sit these exams, they end up having a higher GPA and they can therefore enroll in more programs. So it's mechanical in the sense that it just simply gives them more options. Yes. Now, we can look at that actually because we have their GPA and we don't see any significant effect on, on the GPA. That might seem counterintuitive given what I have told you. Hmm. But the reason is that the GPA is a weighted average across all the subjects, yeah, across their performance in um, in classics, in history, in Danish, English, German, and so on. So there are a lot of subjects, and just changing one grade is not enough for having a significant impact on the overall GPA. Right. So we don't see any evidence of a strong direct effect on your GPA. So that was the first explanation we thought of. The second explanation we thought of is basically what we think of as a learning effect. Yeah. So saying you get um, assigned to this treatment and therefore you study for this subject. Yeah. So if you're assigned to an exam in math, you obviously study for this math exam. Mm. If you, as in our control group, are assigned to an exam in history or in Danish, you would study for that subject. And maybe by studying and preparing for this, first of all, you improve your skills, but you also get more interested in this subject. Yeah. So we don't have a perfect way to test this. Um, so one thing we do is to look at those the, the written exams that I didn't talk much about, but they also sit written exams in all subjects. And if it was a pure learning effect, we would expect them to also do better in the written assessments if they were assigned to the oral assessment in that subject. And we don't see that. We don't see that girls who are assigned to a written, uh, sorry, we don't see that girls assigned to an oral exam in math do better in the written assignment in math. There's also a bit of a timing here because it's only like a couple of weeks between getting to know what you're going to sit, uh, what kind of exams you're going to sit and actually sitting it. So it's not like they can prepare for, for months and, and, and change attitudes. So that's the second explanation, like learning, learning about your own skills and your interests. And the third and final explanation that we think is the most likely, but we cannot test directly, is about beliefs about your own skills and, and basically what you can do. 
and basically saying that <clears throat> i mean there was a large literature i mean both in economics but especially also in sociology and other disciplines saying that your beliefs i mean very important for your choices about where you want to invest in and what programs you want to study and this treatment gives you feedback from some other source so it might change your beliefs about what you're actually good at um, and linked especially to this pattern we discussed very uh, at the very beginning that there's a difference between what boys and girls got for grades from the teacher compared to the exams this means that they might get also different signals from the different assessments so therefore it might affect their beliefs because they get a different signal than they otherwise would so the first explanation was a direct uh, mechanical explanation saying you get higher gpa from this treatment can enroll in more programs we're quite confident this is not the case the second is that you learn more about the subject and get interested in it because of the short time period and because we don't see any improvement in performance in other assessments we don't think that's likely and the last thing is that it changes the girls beliefs about their skills we think that is a likely explanation but unfortunately we cannot test that no of course and um but it does, uh, you say it's it seems to have effect on on the girls but the, bo the, uh, the boys are not as so affected by this external feedback from another source they don't seem to respond in a the same way according to your data overall no we don't see i mean we see slightly some some suggestive evidence that they're slightly less likely to study stem subjects but it's it's not significant and, and more suggestive um so it seems to be more driving girls into doing this okay okay that's interesting and, and it says what's interesting to me is that it was um set up to be looked at but not with the intention of of having you know some some kind of predetermined effect which is the best best way to do an experiment really is is, is nobody knowing what what the outcomes may or may not be um so in terms of girls just to finish off um girls in stem generally because i looked at the report and there are some other broad um factors that possibly might affect uh, stem uptake other than mass things like uh, i look at parental income educational background of the parents uh, things like that. Is there any particular lessons we can learn from other parts of the study about who are the 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 the, the female students that are more likely to go on to STEM degrees or STEM degrees with a high high degree of maths? Are there any patterns there that could be um, useful for perhaps policymakers in terms of kind of nudging uh, more uptake uh, in terms of those kind of factors? Any anything you found on that side of things? Um, so, so the short answer is no. Okay. So we, when we set out, I mean, we actually had a, when we set out to do this, I mean, gender was our first uh, idea. Um, but we also thought there might be some, some differences by, uh, by socioeconomic background and maybe also combined with gender. So we said, uh, so, so the, the study in, in includes a table and results where we do this also by student background. But we didn't find any clear patterns. So there are like some some small suggestive evidence of some some differences by socioeconomic backgrounds, but not any clear patterns that are as strong and 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 give a clear message in the same way as the pure gender story. So so we wouldn't conclude that there are anything here. It doesn't mean that there isn't anything by socioeconomic status. Um, so. Uh, you might just need a different setting to do it. Um, so not to get too technical, but we have a bit of a, what we call a power issue. So we don't basically have enough observations or observations to identify 
these differences in our setting. Okay, so nothing, nothing, um, nothing came out um, kind of uh, significant in this in this case. So, um, in terms of kind of the message to the world, I guess um, is this something that uh, many more countries should be looking at? Should we be looking at in terms of assessments and particularly encouraging more girls into STEM careers? Um, would it be a good idea, do you think, to consider, um, you know, this Danish model of, of thinking about some element of um, uh, an oral exam within that, that high school, maybe um, so the, kind of the A-level level, I suppose, uh, the, kind of the academic high school? Do you think that is something that is relatively, I, I wouldn't be able to cost it, but relatively doable for governments um, to consider? Is it something that you would... Um, if you were the Minister of Education in a in a in a new country, is that something you would you would push to implement? Do you think, or or is it not that not that is that too simplistic to say that, that it might be a good idea? Great question. I think my um, my main takeaway from my own study is that this shows that I mean assessments and how we do and design the assessments are important and affect students differently and across different groups, there might be different effects. So that, so my main takeaway is that we should be careful when thinking about how we assess students and, and when we do changes, we should think about the best way to do it. We started this study actually during the, the pandemic, the, the, the COVID pandemic, because we saw these um, exams being canceled around the world. Yeah, So these assessments were um, cancelled because it requires students to interact one-on-one -on -one with with the teachers and and also here in England that many A-level exams were cancelled and we were a bit worried that this would affect different groups differently and therefore we thought of is there a setting where we can study this and um, and, and we conducted this study so my recommendation would generally be to be careful when thinking about assessments but also go one step deeper to think about that we need some kind of external or even blind assessments um, because it's a way of making sure that students get some input and signal from a different source and that this input is not affected by any I don't know unconscious bias or personal interactions and so on and we spoke about earlier whether this comes from teachers being biased and, and as I said, we, do, we don't know whether teachers are being biased or just that girls don't like these assessments in the same way that boys do or don't do as well. And uh, therefore it also tells us that we might be able to express our skills in different ways depending on our background. Yeah, So some might be better at expressing it in a classroom setting, some might be better doing it in a written closed book exam, so it might be better to do it in a one-on-one -on -one interaction with a teacher and an examiner. And that we have to think about this, I mean, not only in terms of gender, but maybe also origin and, and other backgrounds, that we might have different ways of being able to express our understanding of a, a subject, and, and we have to take this into consideration when, when designing the models. I think I would never, like, conclude or recommend that you should do like the Danish model because I think then it gets too con uh, context specific. I mean, there are a lot of things that are different in Denmark. Yeah. So mm. we cannot just take this thing out and, 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 and then apply it in different settings because there it, it, is, it is linked to other things that happen in Denmark. I would rather just have this general message of thinking about carefully about assessments and, and, and designing and having external assessments as an important element of 
any stage in school really yeah and having having i guess having candidates having uh, interesting as in the way you can express your knowledge and having as many as is practical ways of, of of doing that whether it be an exam whether it be an oral exam whether it be some kind of performance of some kind um having that um that mixture gives all candidates i suppose a fairer uh, representation of their 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 understanding at that particular point in time, and 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 that hopefully gives them a bit of self knowledge as well about maybe where they want to go next. So that, I think maybe that, that that is important as well. So it's good good just to kind of conclude on the kind of assessment um, idea. Really, um, I mean, the last question I was going to ask you was more of a general question, but because um, I was I was reading through your report, and I'm no expert on statistics, but I was wondering if you had any recommendations because I think um, definitely from my education in England we, we don't have a very good um, uh, education perhaps um, it just perfectly personally about statistics and how to kind of interpret uh, things that come out in a report I just wondered are there any kind of general guides that you know of or kind of short books that people could interact with and, and get a feel for numbers which I think we often get reported things in the newspapers but sometimes we have a difficulty in perhaps interpreting them or even criticizing them is there any, any kind of work that you would point um, listeners to to kind of get a good feel about statistics in general? Um, yeah, that's a really good question. Um, I think my recommendation would be, so so to take one step deeper than, than reading the articles in the newspaper, is maybe to take where these articles come from. And actually in England, there's the uh, IFS, the Institute for Fiscal Studies, and they do great work on, I mean, lots of topics, but also on education and inequality in education and publish reports that are very, I would say, very accessible. I mean, they, they put up the numbers, but also discuss and interpret what these numbers mean. So I think if you, in your favorite search engines, just search for IFS or Institute for Fiscal Studies UK and education, it will come up with um, with, with really good source. I also think the all is just ifs.com. Uh, org.uk and and they have really good interpretations of um, um, of how the world looks like. If we take some very general advice on reading statistics, there is one of my favorite books. Um, it's called Factfulness by um, Hans Rosling. So we share the first name, but that's I think the only thing we share. <laughs> He's uh, um, he uh, he was a, a professor in, in medicine was actually a, a medical doctor yes but he was mostly known for um, presenting statistics about global development yeah so it's not so much like uh, what we looked at today which is very specific about individuals and schools but also about comparing countries but also comparing countries in terms of education but he wrote this book which is called factfulness where he uh, presents statistics and also ways to read these statistics which i think is it's very nice to read and, and think about how we can use statistics to learn about the world. Okay, thank you. So it's Factfulness by Hans. What was the second name? Rosling. So R-O-S-L-I-N-G. Okay, thank you very much. Uh, I shall have a look out for that and uh, put that on my wish list. I will um, uh, conclude it here though, but thank you so much for explaining the research, Hans, today and um, giving us an insight in these important research that you've been involved in and I'm sure you will continue to do over the, over the next uh, many years of your career. So thanks for joining me uh, this morning. Thanks for having me. I really enjoyed it. Well, there you have it. Another interesting chat we've added to the view from the lab vault. If you enjoyed this episode and would like to know more about this specific piece of research Dr. Sievertson was a part of, follow the link in the show notes. 
Now, do you know anyone who we should have on the podcast? Please get in touch and email me on my personal work email address, which is andy.woods at pearson.com. Thanks so much for listening and I'll see you on the next one.